0: Hello, I'm Katie Turner. Um, I've been attending faith probably for about nine or ten years, and I'm involved in a life group and serve sometimes um, at the nursery check-in. Today, I am going to be reading Luke 8, 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the women saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Katie. Well, this morning we're finishing up our sermon series entitled Understanding Jesus from Luke 7 and 8. Hope it's been profitable for you. Next week we begin a short Christmas series, two Sundays and then Christmas Eve. We're entitling The Cost of Christmas. If you've got a bulletin on the way in, there's a little write-up here, and there's an assignment at the end, which is one of, the, one of the things we're encouraging you to read Luke 1 and 2 before next Sunday, before you come. That will be very, very helpful, but you can read more about that there. Well, my son Riley and I have a little insider joke, and uh, it's kind of a running joke. It's 90% me, but he kind of goes along with it. Uh, you've seen on social media where somebody, somebody posts... It's a beautiful thought, something to the effect of, three weeks from today, I get to marry my best friend, right? Some of you have posted that probably, and that's a beautiful thought. But we're like, once, just once, would love for somebody to post, three weeks from today, I get to marry my best friend's little sister, right? <laughs> it's like, that would be perfect. That would be like the best of both worlds, right? Well, all that to say, last, set, last Sunday, Riley married his best friend. He got married down in Dallas. It was an amazing weekend. We all drove down on Thanksgiving. We got an Airbnb together with the rest of the family. And we got, Brenda and I have a lot of memories, wonderful memories from the weekend. But one of my favorite was the mother-son dance. Okay, I've got no moves, but Riley and Brenda can both dance. And so they worked up this, this swing dance routine, right? And we were at the Airbnb a couple nights before the wedding and, you know, a swing day, they may go in and around under his arms and twirling and all this stuff. And, and at one point, Riley stops and says, Mom, let me lead, right? <laughs> and so apparently that's the thing. Apparently it goes best when one person leads and the other person follows and there's all these little subtle nuance, and then it's a beautiful thing. Well, today's passage basically tells us in our relationship with Jesus, we need to let him lead, Okay. We need to take our cues from him. As you heard in the passage Katie read, there there are these two desperate people that come to Jesus in need of a miracle. One was a a man named uh, Jairus who had a 12-year-old daughter who was dying. The other was an unnamed woman who had a 12-year-old medical condition that was ruining her life. And they both needed a miracle and they both got a miracle, but they had to follow Jesus' lead. In neither case did things go the way they wanted. Their preference was not honored when they came to Jesus. They got what they needed, but they needed to follow his lead. You and I are going to at some time in our lives, perhaps some of you now are desperate. If you're not now, you will be at some time in your life where you need God to do for you something you cannot do for yourself. You need something miraculous. And when that happens, not if, but when that happens, you have to follow God's lead. It never works when you sit him down, make ultimatums, tell him what has to be done, how it has to be done, when it has to be done. That never goes well in the Gospels, okay? You have to learn to follow his lead. And Today's passage is just, just priceless because it, it explains, it gives us a picture of what it looks like to follow his lead. So let's notice how Jesus invited Jairus and the woman to follow his lead in Luke 8. We begin in verse 40. Luke sets the context this way. Now when Jesus returned, he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, The crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Jesus had this growing reputation as someone who can do things. He can heal people. He can deliver people from demonic powers. And so this whole crowd was waiting that there was one man who was especially desperate in that crowd. Verse 41, and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And so he he was at a position of authority. It would have been known probably by everybody in the community, everybody in the crowd, and falling at Jesus' feet. So he was done with decorum. He was so desperate. He he fell at Jesus' feet, and he implored him to come to his house. And if you've been with us in Luke 7 and 8, a lot of people wanted Jesus to come to to their house, the centurion, Pharisees, we'll see Zacchaeus later. He would go to anybody's house. He, he, He absolutely would. But here's the reason why, verse 42, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. And that word only, it's a word we saw a few weeks ago, it's a rare word, and it's used three times in the Gospel of Luke, I think five times in the New Testament, and every time it refers to an only child, but not just any only child, but an only child who is either dead or on the verge of dying or in some desperate condition. In chapter seven, the widow had an only son who had died. Here we have Jairus who has an only daughter who's dying. In chapter nine, there's a man who had an only son who was tormented by an evil spirit. Now, Isaac is called Abraham's only son in Luke 11. Jesus is God's only son in John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, to die for our sins, then be raised up on the third day so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Okay, so anytime you see an only son with this word, something miraculous, something significant is about to happen. Well, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, begged him to come, and we read, and Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So people are jostling around. There's people touching him everywhere. At this point, the focus shifts from Jairus and his daughter to, to a woman who needed healing. Notice how Luke describes her, verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Uh, that detail that she, she had seen physicians, it's not in all the manuscripts, so your translation may not uh, include it. It's found in, in the other Gospels, though. But the Jewish law stipulated that a woman in her condition was ceremonially unclean. And so she would have lived her life in relative isolation from about anybody. And so her life was severely compromised. She had expended all she had, all her resources on physicians, and nobody had been able to do anything for her. So she, like Jairus, is desperate. Jesus is her last option. Like Jairus, she was desperate, um, but unlike him, she did not fall down at his feet. The last thing she wanted was to be noticed. Probably, number one, because it was an embarrassing condition. Number two, she was technically breaking the law. She was not supposed to be rubbing shoulders with people who, who were clean. And uh, in the law, if you were unclean and you touched someone who was clean, they became unclean. So the last thing she wanted was to be noticed. Verse 44, so she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And that that sounds incredibly superstitious to us, right? But we're going to see later that she had genuine faith in Jesus. You see in the book of Acts, people, Peter had this, this reputation, people laid down so that his shadow might sweep over them. And so this faith, this infant faith was expressed in a lot of different ways, but we're told that immediately she was healed. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Sometimes Jesus asked questions to which he knew the answer, and we can't be sure whether or not that was the case here. Uh, We get the impression he doesn't actually know who had touched him. And then we read, when all denied it, so even this woman, nobody answered, no, everybody denied it. And Peter said, and this is when something happened that often happened to Jesus. It was often the case that someone explained to Jesus that something he had said or something he wanted to do was misguided or flat out wrong, okay? Okay. People try to straighten Jesus out all the time. It happened when he was 12 years old in the temple. We're going to look at that on Christmas Eve. It happened later in Luke when he said that we are going to Jerusalem and I am going to be crucified and I'm going to be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside, basically put his finger in his face and rebuked him. Okay? And here Peter did the same thing. And so instead of being fascinated, Jesus asked, who touched me? There are obviously all sorts of people jostling around touching. Instead of being interested and fascinated, instead of thinking, you know, Jesus is always right. I'm always wrong. Jesus is brilliant. He doesn't just say things because he's bored. Maybe I should wait. Maybe, Maybe I should follow his lead, right? Maybe I should just see where he's going with this. But no, instead, Peter basically says, Jesus... (laughs) That's a bad question. He says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. And so again, he tried to straighten Jesus out. And this is honestly is what we do many times when we read the scriptures. We read the teachings of Jesus when we come across something that seems unreasonable. It might even seem unhealthy. It might seem undoable. And we dismiss it out of hand. We read where Jesus says, uh, Rejoice. When people say all sorts of evil things about you on account of me. Yeah, right. Who's going to do that? Or when Jesus said, when you fast, when you go without food, not if, but when, instead of being fascinated, why would Jesus even suggest a thing like that? We say, yeah, that's no fun. And we just dismiss all these things that Jesus says instead of being fascinated and thinking, He's brilliant. He's right. I'm always wrong in relation to him when we disagree. And so, verse 46, Jesus said, someone touch me. Okay. Peter, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So he wasn't saying, who physically touched me? He's saying, who intentionally touched me and experienced my healing power? And so Jesus wanted this person to be identified. So again, this is the last thing that this woman wanted, right? So now the question is, is she going to follow his lead? Okay? Again, this isn't, she wanted healing. She did not want this to happen, though. She realized she could go unnoticed. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. It's the most fearful thing that could have happened to her. She came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, and I think there it's his fatherly affection kicking in. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus wanted them to know it wasn't his robe that made them well, made her well. It wasn't her thinking positive thoughts that made her well. It was God who made her well in response to her faith. And that's what we see throughout the Gospel of Luke. You see it throughout the Gospels. Every time somebody had this absolute confidence in Jesus, he responded, he made people well. He always responds positively to faith. Now, speaking of daughter, what happened to Jairus' daughter? This had to have been a torturous delay for, for him, right? He was, he was imploring Jesus to come. And uh, we read in verse 49 that his, his worst fears were realized. And While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore okay, I guess I'm not going to see my daughter alive again. Is this the time when he gives up? This was the time he said, well, I believe Jesus could and would heal my daughter, but I was just wrong. I was wrong. Well, notice what Jesus tells him. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, do not fear, only believe. There's faith again. Only believe, and she will be well. Fear is understandable. Anybody would have responded, but Jesus gave another option. You can either fear or you can have faith. You can believe that I will bring your your daughter back to life, that she will be well. And so Jesus is telling him to believe something incredible, meaning not credible. It's never credible when somebody says, your daughter's died, but believe, and she will be made well, right? Now's the question. Is Jairus going to follow Jesus' lead? Is he going to let Jesus? This is not what he wanted to happen. But will he still trust and follow his lead? Verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. There were two other occasions when Jesus only allowed uh, those three disciples to follow him. One was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he was, uh, the night before he was crucified. And so it was a, a, a smaller crowd there. Verse 52, Jesus addresses the mourners at the house. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, and this is what he told the widow in uh, chapter 7 as well. He said, do not weep. That's a strange thing. They had professional mourners, actually, that they would hire for situations like this. And then he added, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, That's a curious thing today to say, because they all knew that, that, Jesus, that, that this little girl was dead. So now again, will they follow Jesus' lead? Will they be curious? Okay, that's kind of an enigma. Why would Jesus say that? He's, he's done these miraculous things. Let's follow his lead. Let's see where this is going. Let's see what, what Jesus is going to do next. Their response, verse 53, and they laughed at him. They mocked him, knowing that she was dead. They wanted nothing to do with following Jesus' lead. Was, they ridiculed the idea that this girl would, would come back to life as if she were only asleep. Verse 54. And Jairus and his, and his wife, they were, they were believing, following his lead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And once again, Jesus touches someone or something unclean. And typically, the unclean thing makes the, the, the clean thing um, defiled. But that didn't happen with Jesus. When so, Jesus wasn't affected by things that touched him. He affected others and so he, he, grabbed, he took this child by the hand, said, child arise, verse 55, and her spirit returned. So she was, she was dead. Her spirit had departed. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. And I think to prove that she was actually alive, he directed that something should be given her to eat. Verse 56, and her parents were amazed that's an understatement, right? But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Why would he say that? If you are here last week, after, after Jesus cast the legion of demons out of the man, he said, go declare to everybody what has happened. Now he says to the parents, don't tell anybody what had happened. Why was that? Well, we aren't told here, but our best understanding is that in a Gentile region, like Gadara, where the man was, was cleansed of the demons, uh, yeah, I'll tell everybody, but in a Jewish town like, like uh, they were in, Jesus never wanted to fuel these misunderstandings about the Messiah. He never wanted people to follow him just because he was a miracle worker. People accepted that, but they wouldn't accept that he was also the suffering servant from Isaiah, the one who would die for the sins of the people. So there was this silence, this forbidding them to talk. That's quite, quite common. Of course, people would soon find out what had happened, but for their part, Jairus and his wife needed to let Jesus lead and not talk about it. So what does this passage teach us? What, what does it scream to us? How, how can we let Jesus lead when we need him to do something we can't for us that we can't do for ourselves? Well, the, the short answer is trust Jesus unconditionally trust Jesus without any conditions. He is worthy. He can be trusted. And this is true in our everyday discipleship, just as we go through our everyday, our relationships, our responsibilities, trusting Jesus without conditions. That's always always the best. But especially when we're desperate, that's when we're the most intense. That's when we're the most tempted to lecture God, to give ultimatums, to demand this and that. Uh, This is what I want to happen. This is how I want it to happen. This is when I want it to happen. And so it's all the more important in those situations that we trust Jesus unconditionally. And again, just to remind you where we see this in the passage, this woman's preference, she wanted to be healed, but she did not want to publicly declare why she was there, why she had touched Jesus the hem of his robe jairus he wanted his daughter healed yes he didn't want her raised from the dead he wanted jesus to come heal my daughter that's it again so he had to endure that long journey from being in the crowd to his house when his daughter was was literally dead her spirit had left her so at that point he 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 wasn't happy that he had followed jesus i mean that was not enjoyable but how about a day later? How about a month later? How about a year later? He could go back. He had this satisfaction. He followed Jesus' lead. His daughter was raised from the dead. And so what does this mean practically when you're desperate for God to do something you can't do for yourself? And so you might have a life-threatening or life-altering medical condition. You might have a relationship that's that very dear to you and it's, in, uh, it's, in, it's disintegrated. You might be facing circumstances that fill you with anxiety or fear. You might need freedom in some area of your life. You are in bondage, and you need God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So what do you do? How do you trust Jesus unconditionally? Well, one of the core ways that we do that is praying, People who have faith pray. If you don't have faith, if you don't believe God can do things, why would you pray? But one of the ways we expect our trust is by praying. We pray for the will of God as best we know it. We pray in faith, but we do so without conditions, without lecturing God. So we pray for healing. God will heal my body. But if he doesn't, we trust him anyway. Not everything is healed in this life. We pray for reconciliation, but not all relationships are restored in this life. If it doesn't happen, we trust him anyway. We pray for freedom. We might have these ideas, this is how I want this freedom to happen. When it doesn't happen that way, we keep trusting him anyway. And understand me, I'm not saying pray vague prayers so that you will never be disappointed. I'm saying praying faith, pray faith-filled Bold prayers, as best you know it according to the will of God. But don't attach conditions. You have to follow God's lead. If it doesn't happen when you want it, how you want it to happen, uh, you trust him anyway. And you find examples of this throughout Scripture. Earliest example probably is is Job. Job, uh, uh, he experienced catastrophic loss, and he had no clue why. He had no idea why everything had been wiped out. Yet in Job 13, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. You have these three young men in Babylon. They've been dragged away from their, their homeland. and They were in, in slavery in, in Babylon. And the king comes down and says, If you don't bow down to my statue, if you don't worship my gods, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. You remember what he said? they said to him? They said, Oh, king, we don't need to, we don't need to answer you this. Our God is not only able to deliver us, he will deliver us. And then they said, and even if he he doesn't, we will never bow down to your statue. We will never worship your gods. No conditions. They trusted him unconditionally. Or Paul, he had this thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that God would take it away. And God didn't. He said, no, I'm not taking that away. I'm going to give you grace to endure it said, I want my power to be demonstrated in your weakness. And so they all followed God's lead and they found great blessing. So again, my question for you is, are you willing to be, are you willing to follow God's lead? Are you willing to be clueless at times? Are you willing to be bewildered? Are you willing to be disappointed and not get your way? You know, one practice that reminds us that Jesus deserves and warrants our unconditional trust is, is the Lord's table. When we come to the Lord's table, we are remembering that when we were at our most desperate condition, we we're dead in our sins, we we're enemies of God, that God did something miraculous for us that we could never do for ourselves. The bread and the cup remind us that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. And if you didn't pick up one of the little cups on the way in, feel free to go, go get one of those now. But when we come to the Lord's table, we not only remember what he did, but we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when he comes, that's when, when if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's when you will be raised immortal. That's when all of your bodily ailments will be healed. And uh, those that are asleep in Christ, we're told, will be raised raised first. And so we anticipate that day and the promise of that day reminds us that, that it's right to let Jesus lead by trusting him unconditionally. So we're going to take just a few moments of, of uh, silence and initiate a conversation with God, especially if there's something that you're desperate about right now, and talk with him about your willingness or perhaps your unwillingness to follow his lead. Say, God, I'm going to trust you. This is what I want, but you're smarter than me. You're wiser than me. You're always right, and I'm going to follow you no matter what. You'll need to continue this conversation later. But now, Father, we come into your presence, and we, we bring before you the conditions, the situations of our life On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Father, as we walk out into this, this new week, we want to walk by faith. We want to trust you. And God, in the midst of our, our circumstances, teach us to follow your lead. God, we pray that we would be humble enough to acknowledge who you are. I pray that we would go to your word and, and find your instruction, your direction there, your, your spirit. Uh, we would let you teach us what we need to know, how we need to be. And God, we we just find it so difficult in this life so many times, so many tragic things, so many difficult things. Thank you that Jesus knows because he became one of us. And so
0: we trust you to lead in Jesus' name. Amen.